You're listening to the Assembly Call IU podcast and postgame show, the place where Indiana fans across the globe hang out online after every IU basketball game. Join us for our live broadcasts on Thursday nights and immediately following every IU game at our website, assemblycall.com. That's assemblycall.com. Buying tickets can be complicated and confusing, but there is a better way to buy with SeatGeek. SeatGeek is the smartest, easiest way to get tickets to every type of live event. Whether you're searching for a last-minute deal, planning a night out with friends, or need to find the perfect gift, SeatGeek helps you find the best seats at the best prices, fully guaranteed. There is nothing quite like being there in person, and SeatGeek will get you closer to the action for a great value. I have the SeatGeek app on my phone, and it is by far the easiest way that I have found to shop for tickets because I can be anywhere, and with just a few taps, I can instantly find seats. Uh, I plan on using SeatGeek a little bit later in this season now that Indiana season is over and I have a little bit of extra time on my hands on weeknights and plan to get out to a Mavericks game and see Yogi play, which I haven't had a chance to do. And you can be sure that when I do that, I will be getting my tickets on SeatGeek as I did when I went and saw him play last year. Because, again, SeatGeek is designed to make your ticket buying experience easier than ever. They save you time and money by searching multiple ticket sites to compare prices and help you find amazing deals. And best of all, listeners of the Assembly Call get $20 off of their first SeatGeek purchase. So the way that you do that is download the SeatGeek app and enter the promo code ASSEMBLY. That's promo code ASSEMBLY, A-S-S-E-M-B-L-Y, for $20 off of your first SeatGeek purchase. Welcome, Hoosier fans, to this week's edition of Assembly Call Radio, where each week we discuss the most important IU basketball stories from the past seven days. This is our 69th edition of Assembly Call Radio, and it is our 396th episode overall of the Assembly Call, recorded on the evening of Thursday, March 29th, 2018. I am your host, Jared Morris. And let's begin this week how we begin every episode of the Assembly Call, and that is with our Hoosier Proud banner moment. Last week, I used this space to provide a roundup of exciting achievements occurring around the IU Athletic Department. Included in that roundup was the success of the women's basketball team in the WNIT, and that success has continued. As you probably heard, the women's team defeated TCU on Wednesday evening, meaning Tyra Buss, Amanda Cahill, and co. are set to take on Virginia Tech in the WNIT championship game on Saturday afternoon at 3 o'clock Eastern time at Simon Scott Assembly Hall. That game can be viewed on the CBS Sports Network. That's not regular CBS, but the CBS Sports Network. But forget about TV. My question is, can you be there in person? Because if you can, do it. Make your presence felt for those of us who live a 1,000 miles away but would definitely be there if we could. If you've been paying attention, you know that near-record crowds have been turning out to watch the women march toward a banner as almost 8,000 fans packed Assembly Hall for the TCU game. The record for a women's game is 10,002, and Coach Terry Morin has already said that she wants to see the all-time attendance record fall, and it should. 
Hanging an NIT banner would be a massive achievement for the women's basketball program if they can make it happen. It would also be a fitting end to the Tyra Bus Amanda Cahill era at Indiana. They are two of the greatest women's players in school history, with Tyra being one of the greatest basketball players in school history, period. And they should have a banner hanging in the hall. This one would be theirs. Obviously, missing the NCAA tournament was a bummer. But the upside is that IU fans have had several more chances than expected to cheer on and embrace Tyra, Amanda, and the rest of this team. Saturday is the final chance, and a banner is on the line. Few moments in the history of our show have qualified so easily for the banner moment. Let's go hang another one. All right, now let me introduce my esteemed co-host for this week's show. Andy Bottoms is out this week, so filling in for him will be one of our favorite guest hosts and one of the few people actually ranked higher than Andy on the Bracket Matrix worldwide rankings of bracketologists. He's the founder of the Delphi Bracketology Club, the host of Talking Hoosier Baseball, a longtime basketball coach, and one of the most genuinely kind people you will ever meet. He's the coach, Brian Tonsoni, and that means this is Tonsoni time. Coach, what's on your mind? Uh, th- thanks, Jared, for those kind words. Uh, there's a lot. Obviously, some good things are happening at Indiana. Uh, with the women's basketball team, the the swim and dive teams have been very successful here recently in their national championship run, and the baseball team is off to a good start. So for Hoosiers all around, uh, the sports uh, this spring and ending this winter are looking good. But I, I'm happy that the tournament has turned out to be as good as it as it has been in the past. Upsets, buzzer beaters. We have a Cinderella team in the Final Four, and then you know with the new coaching change for for us, it was. Uh, it was a lot of new ideas and new thoughts and, and not sure what was going on at the beginning of the year. You couple that with the FBI investigation and you have some traditionally strong coaches getting caught up in that, some assistant coaches. Uh, and, and it just was a little bit bleak in, in November. But uh, the tournament has turned out to be a, a positive thing. And we're going to talk a lot about the final four teams later on and the lessons that IU can learn from that and hopefully build towards that in the future. I also think there might be a changing of the guard of some of the better coaches. Uh, Beeline has got to be at the top of most lists nowadays. I think Jay Wright is entering that. Uh, I also think that, uh, as you guys mentioned in previous podcasts, some of the top coaches might be losing a little bit of zip off their fastball. Uh, Coach K and and Izzo seem to uh, be getting some talent, but maybe not getting to the places that, that they want to. Uh, North Carolina's had a nice run, so, so maybe that's not uh, the same thing. And, and obviously, Bill Self has been around for a while. But uh, Kentucky hasn't been there for a while. So maybe a changing of the guard, and that's right for some new coaches and some new programs like maybe Indiana to uh, fill that void in the next two or three years. So that's, uh, that's what I'm thinking about at this point. And to my right, we have someone who is one win away from claiming that he discovered Loyola Chicago. He's a columnist for the big lead, and he's someone who is already preparing his theory for why Romeo Langford will be on a two-year plan in college, and he's still so broken up about that Grayson Allen shot at the end of regulation missing and not sending Duke and Coach K to the Final Four. Hopefully, he can pull himself together for the opening statement. Yes, is the son of Zeus himself. Ryan, what is your rant about college basketball, Indiana basketball, yeah. or anything else this week? Yeah, real national tragedy that Duke <laughs> didn't advance to the to the Final Four, I, for me at least. Uh I, I think that you, you're right, Jared, about the the women's NIT game. I mean, people should really get out and go see that. It's rare that you have a chance to to see something like that, especially with the seniors that have been there a long time. I mean, send them out the right way. It's a home game for a championship. I mean, you don't get those very often. And uh, 
you know, so I, I in any sport, really. And so I think that people should really go out of their way to go to that game. It's going to be fun. This team plays fun. The atmosphere has been great at these games, talking to people who've been there. Um, it's basketball. And, you know, there's, you know, you don't get many chances to, to go see basketball. The high school tournaments are over. Uh, Indiana is not in the final four, unfortunately. So, you know, go for the women's game and 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 go for that and and i think that that's a you know something that'll be really fun for people to go do support that team they've played very hard and played very well uh this season uh and also i think that it's it's worth mentioning that romeo langford uh you mentioned him in my little intro there that romeo langford played incredibly well in the mcdonald's all-america game uh 19.6 rebounds uh really looked great uh, among you know playing against some of the, playing against and with some of the best uh, talent in the country and and I really thought that that was uh, just a you know such a nice thing to see the kid from Indiana go out there and, and play really well and just basically play the way that you know we all expected him to uh, you know 19.6 rebounds in 21 minutes is pretty good against some of the best players in the country so uh, that's really all that's going on in Indiana basketball this week it's a wait and see game with Romeo Langford and and the women are are certainly uh, worthy of, of getting some attention yeah and Romeo betrayed nothing about what he may be thinking one way or the other about any of the schools continued to answer all of the questions exactly the same way he always does so we will continue to wait and see on that all right here are the topics that we are going to address this week. Unfortunately, we have to talk about the sad and unexpected passing of Daryl Thomas. Uh, we will do that here at the end of our first segment. After that, we will take an in-depth look at the four teams that are in the Final Four with the goal of extracting some important lessons for Indiana, because this is an Indiana show after all, as we continue to work our way back to college basketball's biggest showcase. You mentioned, right, Indiana, once again, not in the Final Four. What do the Hoosiers have to do to get back there, and what can they learn from this year's participants that will help expedite that? All of that is coming on this edition of Assembly Call Radio. Uh, before we get to uh, talking about Daryl Thomas, uh, I, I do just want to mention um, – actually, forget that. I don't want to mention this. Let's just go in and talk about Daryl Thomas. Um, uh, let me reset real quick. You're listening to the assembly call. I'm Jared Morris. I'm here with Ryan Phillips and the coach, Brian Tonsoni. I don't know. I was about to do one of those quick ads for our affiliate links. And then it felt really cheap to do that before talking about Daryl Thomas. So let's just move on and let's talk about Daryl Thomas. Um, obviously a Hoosier legend, uh, a guy who made one of the most memorable and iconic plays in Indiana history. Obviously everybody knows about the shot that Keith Smart made, uh, and uh, not enough has talked about the play that Daryl Thomas made uh, on that play where he made the pass to Keith Smart, screened off Darryl, uh, uh, Derek Coleman, who then couldn't get out to Keith and gave him an open look. And, you know, unfortunately, Daryl passed on Wednesday of this past week, uh, a heart attack at the age of 52, I believe, uh, obviously far, far too young. Um, and there have been some really great tributes written. I thought Zach Osterman wrote a great one for the Indianapolis Star, you know, what I want to say about Daryl, and, and I say this for a lot of the people who might, you know, might be younger fans, and, and even for me, you know, Daryl Thomas, you know, played obviously in, in the mid-80s, and it was before I really came of age as an IU fan, so I don't really have any personal memories of, of seeing Daryl play, but if you want to know what kind of a player he is and kind of what kind of career arc he had at Indiana, when I asked a lot of people who know about IU basketball this year, you know, people like Rick Bozich, um, you know, who Juwan Morgan's breakout junior season reminded them of, 
Daryl was a frequent answer because he's a guy who went from five points and two and a half rebounds and 15 minutes a game as a sophomore to exploding for 14 points and five rebounds as a junior. I think he was all Big Ten that year. Shot 56.1% from the field. And then as a senior, up that to 15.7 and 5.7. And as I mentioned, you know, made one of the biggest plays, a play that, you know, Bob Knight, a coach who rode him so hard, uh, you know, famously rode him so hard, said, you know, it was one of the best individual plays he ever had a player make. So, uh, you know, Daryl, I think, is is a great, great player uh, that sometimes isn't given enough uh, appreciation when we, you know, kind of list off some of the great players in Indiana history. Um, and, you know, so obviously our, our thoughts are with his family. Um, and so we just wanted to take a few moments here to uh, to honor him uh, uh, for being the great Hoosier that he was. And, Brian, I know you were on campus uh, at the same time that Daryl was at Indiana. Yeah, I was a sophomore in 87 during the national championship and, and never had the pleasure of bumping into him or, or, or talking to him. But, you know, when, when you're a, a champion at a school, you're going to be forever remembered for that championship. But then I also have um, a lot of respect that he went into uh, coaching and, and leading of, of young men in the, in the sport. And as a fellow coach, uh, there, there's a little bit of a connection there uh, with knowing what you go through on a day-to-day basis and, and some of the sacrifices you make to be a coach. So not only was he a champion uh, at Indiana at a time when I was there and, and giving me one of the, the best memories of, of my co- collegiate time or IU fandom, uh, I think just a quality person. And, and, and you know, from a personal uh, position, as you get older and you young guys, when you see someone that you went to school with um, that, that has moved on, you, you – you really take a step back and analyze and make sure that every day you do some good things as well. Uh, so he will be missed for, for what he did for Indiana, but also what he continued to do in his adult life. Yeah. Ryan, your thoughts? Well, I think that, you know, I mentioned this on Twitter. He's a guy along with Delray Brooks, who during the season on the brink year really took a lot of garbage from, from, coach night and 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 quite frankly a lot of unnecessary garbage um you know the point where it went from being you know trying to you know ride a guy to make him better to almost outright bullying and harassment and of course that's a story with a lot of guys who played for coach night we know that i mean i'm not here to to turn this into a referendum on him but i think that it showed a lot of strength from daryl thomas to as you said improve tremendously and then become a captain and a leader and a guy who was a huge part of of that national championship run um and to win a title along with steve alford and you know some of the other guys that were you know the top guys on that team i think i think the other captain was todd meyer i think um, with three captains. And, and so I, I really think that, you know, it showed a lot of personal character for him to stick with it, uh, despite what was clearly over the top, uh, treatment, uh, to stick with it, to, to, to tough it out and to wind up, you know, winning a national title as a captain. And as you said, make that play to, to find key smart and, and, you know, hit the big shot. So, um, you know, nothing but respect for Daryl Thomas. I think he's a wonderful, he was a wonderful example of what, uh, Indiana, um, you know, what Indiana stands for and, and what, uh, you know, certainly, you know, I think it's worth also noting that that was the last time Indiana won a national championship. And I know that's like Robin, rubbing salt in the wounds for everybody, but you know, 
the further we get away from that team, the more it should be remembered just how special it was. I think we always think of the 76 team as being super special. We think of the 81 team because of Isaiah Thomas, but that 87 team kind of gets overlooked at times. I think it, it gets looked at as the Alford team, or maybe you look at the shot from Keith Smart, but um, I, I think that it, that team was really something special and something fantastic, given especially what they'd been through the last few years, most of those guys on that team. So, um, just uh, again, passing of a legend, certainly not one of the guys you mentioned when you talk about the top five, 10 players of all time, but a guy who certainly went through as much as anybody and came out the other end of champion. Yep. Rest in peace, Daryl, an all time great Hoosier, unquestionably, and for far more than just what you did on the basketball court. All righty. Uh, coming up here on the assembly call, we begin our analysis of this year's final four and what lessons Indiana can take from these four teams, beginning with some similarities in roster composition that Indiana would be smart to emulate. Let's take a look. All right. Uh, so question for you guys real quick. Brian, I'm pretty sure I know the answer to you. Have you ever tried online dating? Uh, n- no, sir. I was fortunate enough to, to find someone special. Um, before there was online anything, probably <laughs> 26 years ago. So, you know, I, I the answer would be no. And and Ryan, I know you haven't yet tried online nope. dating yourself. Okay, you haven't nope. yet. So that means that if I have, then we're at one out of the three of us who has done online dating, which according to numbers that I have read is about the national average that, you know, now about one in three, I think, couples uh, are coming together because of online dating. And I have. And so this leads me into my, my, my wife is over here, who I met via online dating, by the way. I'm live studio audience here tonight. She's not happy that I'm going to be telling the story right now. But we did, we did meet online. This is a story I couldn't tell for like the first three years that we were together. Um, so have I ever told you about why the loss to Syracuse in 2013, while devastating to all of us for basketball reasons, is secretly like one of the greatest things that's ever happened to me? Have I told you why? I, I know the story. I don't think the audience does, though. So <laughs> They're going to yeah, hate so, you afterwards, though. So <clears throat> my, my first date, and again, I met my beautiful, wonderful wife, Heather, online. My first date with her was April 8th, 2013, which also happened to be the day of the national championship game between Louisville and Michigan, a game that now, I guess, didn't really happen. Uh, but we all know that it happened because it was on the TV. We went to a little pizza joint, and it was on the TV, like up in the corner, like kind of catty corner from our booth. And the reason why I knew this relationship was going to work and why I knew that this woman was just like the greatest woman that I had ever met, ever seen, is because this championship game is going on the entire time. And I didn't pay one lick of attention to it because I was so enthralled by this first date, which was set up through the magic of online dating. And so if Indiana had not lost to Syracuse and had marched through as we all expect that they would have, we would have had a show that night for the national championship game. Who knows what might have happened, but things obviously happen as they are supposed to. So for that reason, part of me is not too upset that Indiana lost that game because it led to the greatest, uh, the greatest thing that's ever happened to me. As she rolls her eyes at me over here. So anyway, she's not the only one. (laughs) Everybody's rolling their eyes at this point. Anyway, so that is all preamble to talking about why folks should try out online dating and specifically why you should try out eHarmony. Um, And, you know, the thing is, like, if you've tried online dating and I tried lots of different sites when I was, you know, going through the dating game, you know, you've probably run into the lazy text messages and dead end conversations, you know, random matches that don't turn into dates. It's all part of the process. But 
eHarmony is the only site that actually has like a scientific formula that they're using to match people together. And it really, really does a nice job of helping you kind of move past, you know, just some of the some of the time that you can waste doing this and get to people that you're going to have some chemistry with. Um, and that really helps because, you know, you can waste a lot of time, go on a lot of bad dates, and eHarmony helps you overcome that. That's why they have helped over a million people find their match. Uh, because as I mentioned, they use decades of science, data, and psychological research to send you on the right matches. They bring compatible people together. And they are right now the number one most trusted dating site or app based on a 2018 survey of over 1,500 U.S. singles. Um, and that right there is another reason why you should check them out. So here's the other thing. Because you're a listener to the Assembly Call, you can get a free month with eHarmony when you sign up for a three-month subscription. All you have to do is add the promo code ASSEMBLY when you check out. So stop waiting. Start your journey to a satisfying, meaningful relationship. It can be fun to play around with online dating apps, but when you're ready to fall in love with someone and have a meaningful relationship, there's one app that's built to bring you real love, eHarmony. Come see how eHarmony can change your life. Go to eHarmony.com and get started. Enter the promo code ASSEMBLY at checkout. You are listening to The Assembly Call. I'm Jared Morris here with Ryan Phillips and the coach, Brian Tonsoni. Don't forget that if you ever have to miss all or part of an episode of Assembly Call Radio, there are two great ways to catch up. You can subscribe to our podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. Just search for Assembly Call. Or you can join our live Thursday night broadcast or watch the video replays by subscribing to our YouTube channel at youtube.com slash assemblycall. So, obviously, Indiana, not in the final four. But we all have goals of Indiana getting back to the Final Four. That is the stated goal and more from Fred Glass before he hired Archie Miller. The question is, what does Indiana need to do to get there? And I think there are some lessons that Indiana can take from the four Final Four teams who made it this year as they look to chart their path to getting back to the Final Four. And so we want to outline some of those and kind of take a look at them through an IU prism here for this episode. And so we'll count down nine of these. I don't know if we'll get through them all, but we'll try. Um, and the first one is one, uh, Coach Tonsoni, that you suggested. And that is, number one, guard play is pivotal in March. And all four of the Final Four teams have experienced guards who can score and who limit turnovers. You know, Michigan has Muhammad Ali Abdur-Rahman. Loyola has the trio of Custer, Richardson, and Towns. Kansas obviously has Devontae Graham, and Villanova has Jalen Brunson. And when you kind of look at the IU lesson for this one, I mean, it's just kind of duh. I mean, we've been talking about this for two years now, that Indiana needs better guard play. Uh, but it's really highlighted when you look at the strengths of these teams in the Final Four this year. Yeah, I, I just think the game of basketball has been a guards game for some time now, and it continues to move to a perimeter uh, game. And, and we say that about athletic bigs, but you got to have people who can score. And, and that comes, we'll, we'll talk all later a little bit about shooting and some other things too, but you need people to put the ball in the basket and, and, and you need wings. I would also add, you need a slasher, whether that's your, your two guard, your three spot or whatever position you, you, you want to say, but you have to have people to initiate offense with limited turnovers to be an extension of the coach on the floor. 
And, and I think when you see these lead guards that you mentioned all the way down through, these are guys who can take over uh, a game and lead on the floor, whether it be in, in, in running offense or scoring. Uh, I was listening uh, to, to a podcast um, today. Uh, I should give credit, so it's not me coming up with this, but they overheard Brunson in a, in a timeout. Uh, settle coach uh, right down he was a little anxious about some calls and he said hey just get 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 me the ball I'll get us something good and let's go that that's uh that is an experienced guard with some talent who can go out there and back up what he's saying in, in a timeout uh, the Loyola run has been nice and the reason is they have people who are knocking down shots and, and their their guard play and you need all positions on the floor but uh, where that plays out for IU is that we didn't have excellent guard play last year, and that's why we struggled to just get to 16, whether it be shot-making or initiating offense. And and that's where we've got to build with the recruits and, and what we're getting coming in uh, to be able to get to the tournament and then advance in the tournament. Most nights, most nights we barely had adequate guard play, let alone excellent. Yeah, what I would say is I think that Guard play is certainly important, particularly early in the tournaments. You've got weird game time sometimes, you know, morning games. You've got sometimes super late games. Uh, you're in unfamiliar territory, other arenas, all that stuff. You need whoever is initiating the offense to settle people down and, and to get it started and make sure you're not starting possessions, you know, on your off your back foot. Um, so I think guard play is incredibly important, especially early. Once you sort of get into the flow of the tournament, I would say it's important for knocking down shots. The teams that hit shots in March are typically the teams that win. I mean, you know, if you don't struggle through, you saw Villanova struggle with an awful shooting night the other night, but still able to advance to the final four. That was because the other team struggled from the, you know, so it, typically the teams that shoot better, that, that, that have a better shooting percentage in a game uh, from three, particularly are the teams that end up advancing in the modern game. But what I would say is as you get closer to the final, those big guys inside become more important because they provide easy baskets. As the tournament goes along, for the most part, shooting percentages drop because guys get tired. You're not playing, you know, you're playing six intense games. If you're going to the championship game in three weeks against the best teams in the country, you're going to tire out. You're going to wear down playing both ends of the floor. So I think that guard play is incredibly important to get you there. But once you get there, you need somebody who can provide easy buckets, whether it's uh, a, a true post guy just being able to catch the ball and turn it around when the offense breaks down. Or like Brian said, maybe a guy who just slashes off the wing and can get into the paint and score easily. Um, I think that you need those guys as well. So uh, it's really about balancing the roster, I think. And I think that's where we're getting to next is it's about those. You have to have responsible guard play. You have to have smart guard play and effective guard play to get to that next level of the tournament. And once you're there, you need to find some easy baskets somewhere because teams start to lock down defensively as the tournament goes on. Yep. And you need, you need guards who can shake and bake and go places. I think that's what ultimately hurt uh, the team up North here where close to where I live is that they were a great three point shooting team. But when the big went out, the floor wasn't stretched and you had a Texas tech team who locked them up and they, other than Carson Edwards could get to the rim, but you need two or three of those guys that can do multiple things yeah. uh, on the floor as guards. And, and you see that in Brunson, he can go down and pivot 19 times in the post. In fact, we teach a Nova pivot in our program. Um, it's to go in and pivot away from the defense and create space either to come back and shoot or to find a, a cutter on the outside. Uh, Nova's pivots in the lane from their guard play is is fantastic in, in getting people open shots. Um, 
And so you need a multitude of abilities and skill sets on the perimeter, not just uh, an assist guy only or a shooter only. You, you need those kind of athletes. You're listening to the Assembly Call. I'm Jared Morris here with Ryan Phillips and the coach Brian Tonsoni breaking down some of the lessons that Indiana can learn from this year's Final Four participants. So we just talked about the importance of guard play. And, and as we continue talking about roster composition, it's obvious that experience that you can count on matters. But you also need talented underclassmen who are kind of coming of age on the big stage because they can make a huge difference. And think back to the roster that Indiana had in 2016. This is you know, kind of part of the reason why it's disappointing that team didn't make it past the Sweet 16. But they had the experience of guys like Yogi Ferrell and Troy Williams and then young, talented freshmen like Thomas Bryan and OG Ananobi who were you know, kind of these ascendant talents really playing some of their best basketball and when you look at the teams that made the Final Four this year, they have that combination, right? All four of these teams feature juniors and seniors as at least half of their primary rotation, all of them. So they've got the experience. They've got guys who have been through the battles, but they all also have underclassmen who are really playing outstanding. You know, Michigan has Charles Matthews, a former five-star guy who transferred from Kentucky, and he's been one of the best two-way players in the tournament. He's been the game MVP in two of their wins. Loyola has a couple of guys, Crutwig and Williamson, that have played important minutes. Kansas is obviously getting huge play from Malik Newman, another former five-star guy who's really coming of age after transferring. And then for Villanova, their freshman Omari Spellman has been absolutely terrific. So I think the lesson here for Indiana and for Archie Miller, as you look and you think forward about roster composition, is you've got to get old and stay old. That's important that you have those culture guys, that you have the experience, but you've also got to keep bringing in elite talent, whether you're you know, recruiting five-star guys who are transferring from elsewhere or you're you know, bringing in your own guys as freshmen because you need guys that have that elite talent who are good enough to blossom you know, once they've been through a season or two to play on those big stages in March because when you get that combination – now you really are set up to have success in the tournament playing multiple ways. And Ryan, as you mentioned, you know, playing in kind of the different types of games that you'll be in in the tournament. Yeah, and I think one thing to keep an eye on, too, for those veterans is they have to be accomplished veterans. It's not just about having older guys. It's having older guys who can point to, hey, look, I've done this before. I've been here before. You know, with Kansas, you've got Devontae Graham and Sveem Mikhailuk, who is a guy I am so glad is almost done with his college career, so I no longer have to type his name out. Um, but then you've got Jalen Bronson, uh, you know, a, certainly a guy that Villanova's players can look up to and say, OK, yeah, this guy's done it before. He knows what to do. Mo, Wa- Mo Wagner, uh, Abdur Rahman for for Michigan. And then the Loyola guys. I mean, uh, Ingram is a guy who's been around for a while. And and, you know, certainly, again, while those guys at Loyola haven't been this far before, they've played college basketball. And so it's those are guys you feel like you can rely on in a game. Like if things get crazy, if things get scrambled and they always do in the tournament, you're going to run into a situation where a team goes on a 10 0 run against you. It happens every year to a team that runs that goes deep in the tournament. That's just the nature of the tournament. How do you respond? And you almost always have to respond with your best, most veteran accomplished players stepping up to do something. And I think that's the most important thing. If we're talking roster composition is having people, who, when the 18-year-olds and 19-year-olds on the team freak out, who can be the grown-up and sort of you know, say, we're not letting this happen anymore and, and slamming the door shut. And I think that having veterans on your roster who are accomplished, who maybe could have gone to the NBA but decide to come back and you know, chase something, those are the guys that you need 
to to go far in the tournament. If you look at the teams that have won national championships the last five to ten years, they all have veterans who can, you know, who have been through the wars and and know what they're doing there and you know, have helped lead those teams to championships. We've only had one team full of one and done that's won a national title. And that was the Kentucky team. Um, you know, it, it, uh, in what was that? 2013, 2012 or 2013. I don't remember the year that Anthony Davis is year. Um, 12. But, it was 12. Yeah. 2012. And, uh, and then you had a Duke team win it with a few one and dones, but they also had some veterans on that team that helped shut things down uh, against a very veteran uh, uh, Wisconsin team. So I just think you need that roster balance. As you said, you've got to constantly be bringing talent into your program and useful talent, guys who can play. But at the same time, having those veteran guys is invaluable, especially in a tournament situation. God, thinking about this really makes me regret what happened in 2016. That roster was good enough to make a Final Four if we didn't run yes, into that buzzsaw of North Carolina. It was. It was, a, it was a really good team, especially by the end of the year. Yep. Man. But Brian, if, you go by, if you go by accomplished, um, I, I would almost, and we can go back on 2016, Yogi, yes. The others were very talented and played some basketball. But I, I think the word accomplished from Ryan is the key word. A, a Brunson who's been through – and has experience, but also can really back it up and get the job done. And then the other thing about Villanova that I read this week was the number of redshirt years yep. in that program. So they, a lot of those players, whether it was an injury, a couple kids had injuries, some were transfers, some were just uh, come in as freshmen. I think there were six players who are participating and a big part of this Villanova run who have been redshirted. You and, see that a lot with Gonzaga too. Gonzaga redshirt yes. guys constantly. And so they, they get an extra year. They get to be mature. And, and I'm looking at the lesson for IU is I think Race Thompson's going to come out of, from nowhere and really surprise us. I'm not saying he's going to be dominant or anything in, in the Big Ten, but he's going to be a lot better than just a regular first-year player because of that redshirt year. Yeah. And, and I think that's some veterans. You you had the Loyola kids who have transferred and probably had to sit out a year. Uh, that that veteran uh, presence, but it needs to be accomplished. I think Ryan's word was so key. It can't just be your third year guy who was average for two years and now has to play a few minutes. These guys got to be able to go out and get things done that the coach wants to get done. Your your um, Michigan's a great example of that. Duncan Robinson, uh, you know, is a, is yeah. a shooter and, and he has some limitations, but he's been there and, and somewhat accomplished with several. Uh, and not just one. There needs to be two or three mixed in with an excellent young talent. Uh, I think is definitely the recipe for sustained success. Yeah. So, for example, a guy like Devontae Green next year, just because he's a junior and an upperclassman, doesn't mean you know he's part. He, he's not an accomplished upperclassman. What you hope with a guy like say Robert Finnessy, who we expect to play bigger minutes as a freshman and sophomore and be more consistent, and hopefully be part of some better teams, is that by the time he's a junior and a senior, he's already got some skins on the wall and is that type of guy. Maybe not at a Jalen Brunson level. I mean, he's an elite, elite player and was an elite recruit. But, you know, a poor man's Jalen Brunson, you know, that type of player who can really be a rock for your program that, that you can really count on. Yep, for sure. Uh, so, OK, these next two, I think we can hit these pretty quick, Ryan, and I'll, and I'll come to you with these. Uh, but, you know, these are just lessons that, you know, we learn about, the, you know, this year, but we kind of learn them every year in the tournament. And, and well, it's kind of the whims. of. Tur <laughs> did you want to go? Well, I was just saying, like, you know, it's the whims of tournament play. It's the luck you have to have. And we've been yeah. talking about this since our first year doing the show. I mean, you know, it, so much of it depends on the matchup you get, uh, whether you're healthy or not. Do you run into healthy guys? I mean, to win a national championship, folks, you have to get so lucky. 
I mean, I realize some teams make their own luck and get back there consistently. Villanova is back yeah. after being away, you know, but they're also a phenomenal team that was one of the top teams all year. Um, well, and, so and, that, you, and that's kind of the lesson is, you know, if you're going to play kind of a chalky road like Villanova and Kansas have played, you better have super talent. You know, and be yep. able to to really uh, compete against those teams. You know, four or five games in a row. Whereas for a Loyola and a Michigan, look, they've had great seasons. They're excellent teams, but they both, you know, in the regionals played a seven seed and a nine seed. So that's not to say that they wouldn't have still been here if they had played a tougher road. But the bracket certainly opened up for them. And look, we had this experience in two thousand two when Indiana made their run. You know, obviously we had to beat the number one team in the tournament in Duke. But around that were some games that kind of opened up for Indiana in that bracket. So it certainly helps. But but I think the lesson here is you really want to be careful judging any team or coach off of one tournament appearance because any individual tournament can be fluky. The goal and where I think Indiana wants to get to is build a program like Villanova or Kansas that consistently has high seeds each year and the talent to handle a tough road because you just need enough cracks at it and you'll break through your fair share of times. This was not a Kansas team that should have broken through this far over so many of the other teams that they've had. But they were good enough that you just keep swinging that hammer and eventually things fall your way and Grayson Allen's shot falls out. And that's the other point here about the whims of tournament play is sometimes it just comes down to making tough shots at pivotal moments. You know, Jordan Poole hits that big three for Michigan, or they might be out in the round of 32. You know, Grayson Allen misses that shot, or Kansas is out and doesn't even make the Final Four. Loyola had to eke out some wins down the stretch. And so, again, you know, you've got to understand that, it, 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 you know, it, it's a make-or-miss game. Sometimes you're going to make those shots. Sometimes you're going to miss them. But the other lesson here for Indiana is who are the shot makers? Right, you've got to have guys who can, who are willing to take those shots and make them. And outside of James Blackman Jr., who have really we really had that can do that the last couple of years. So there are some whims of tournament play, but you've also got to have a roster with shot makers and guys who are ready for those clutch moments, so that when they come in tournament play, you're ready and have someone who can competently take that shot and at least give you a chance to knock it in. Yeah, I think Yogi had a few of those moments, but they were, you know, few and far between. I mean, they, mm-hmm. you, you need to have that that next level shot maker. Like a, I mean, uh, Mikhailuk was that the other day for Kansas. He made two huge threes late uh, to really put them, you know, in a position to to win that game. Um, and but Devontae Graham, a guy like Frank Mason, who was there last year, those are guys who who want the shot. You know, want to take the shot. And so, um, yeah, you've got to have those guys you can rely on. You're absolutely right. So it's not just about having the right roster, having this, having that. You've got to have guys who are next level who can who can make some things happen, you know, and keep situations and are confident enough to take those shots. Yep. All right. Coming up, we continue our analysis of the Final Four teams, looking at what they have in common in terms of style of play that should be instructive for Indiana. That is next. Stick with us. You are listening to the Assembly Call. Go to assemblycall.com slash join right now to learn how to subscribe to our email newsletter. Because if you want to get more out of being an IU basketball fan, then you need to be on our newsletter list. You will get our weekly six-man or Sunday news roundups all the way throughout the offseason to keep you up to date on what's going on with IU basketball. And then once the season starts, you will get our post-game analysis emails sent the morning after every game. It's all free. It's content we only send to our email subscribers, and it will make you a smarter IU basketball fan. Again, the URL, assemblycall.com slash join. All right, I am Jared Morris. I'm here with Ryan Phillips and the coach, Brian Tonsoni, and we are breaking down this year's Final Four in terms of lessons that Indiana can take 
from the elements of these teams that helped get them to the Final Four uh, and, and what Indiana should take from these teams and apply as they look to rebuild their program to be a Final Four caliber team. So let's talk about style of play now. We just talked about roster composition. Let's talk about style of play. And, and pace has been a big topic of conversation. Uh, I feel like this tournament, especially ever since Virginia got knocked out um, uh, against UMBC, and, and here's the thing that you find when you look at the pace of the four teams in the Final Four. It's that Playing a fast pace is not a guarantee of tournament success, and playing at a very slow pace is not an inhibitor of success. The question is, are you good at what you do, at the pace that you do play at, and then are you flexible and talented enough to adapt, both from a coaching perspective and from the ability of the players on the floor? So just quickly to look at the numbers, Michigan and Loyola are both sub-300 in pace this year. Michigan played the 326th fastest pace. Loyola played the 315th fastest pace. So they're both extremely slow. Kansas and Villanova, they're at 150 and 160. So they're slightly above average, but certainly not fast-paced by any means. And actually, Florida State at 45th and Duke at 93rd were the only two teams in the top 100 in pace to even make it to the second weekend of the tournament. So I think the lesson here, and this is a reiteration of something that we talked about last week, is that Indiana's pace under Archie Miller this season, it was 251st, is fine, as is Archie's average pace uh, ranking over his coaching career, which is about 200. That's fine. Again, the question is, how efficient is Indiana? And then, is the roster talented enough and smart enough with a high enough basketball IQ to be able to play multiple ways? So it's not just about pace. It's how good are you at what you do, and then can you adapt when you absolutely need to, Coach? Yeah, I think playing both ways is the key word right there. And you saw some of that in the teams that have made the Final Four, especially Villanova had a couple of battles there. with with They had West Virginia and Texas Tech. They had to grind those games out. Uh, and I think, you know, good teams can can come from behind when they're they're down and have an appropriate pace to play. And they can also play from, from the lead. And, and I think teams that get in trouble sometimes are just one way and, and are only one dimensional with, with pace. And, and so I think more than fast or slow, it is can you do what is needed within the, the game as, as needed, I think is, is extremely important. I think Michigan has had a couple low-scoring games where they didn't play well. Uh, and that'll get to the next segment too. The importance of when you're not scoring, whether you're you're going at a fast pace or a slow pace, what, what we you need to do to compete. But having multiple ways of getting the ball into the basket, uh, I think, is a vital lesson uh, for IU and Archie to go forward. And I think with his pace and and what he tries to do in transition and and with some of his sets, I think that's obvious a goal of his. Uh, to try to get there. And, and Ryan, you missed last week's episode where we talked about this, but you know, do you think that we know enough from Archie's first year to really know how good he'll be at adapting to different styles? Because to me, you know, it seemed like you know, he's putting in the foundation of how he wants to play and doesn't have an overly talented roster and didn't have a roster that could really play in a variety of ways. We saw it in the Rutgers game. You know, plan A kind of wasn't there. I mean, we weren't really able to get the ball into Juwan, and we just didn't really have that many plan Bs and plan Cs to go with. But I feel like that was more of a personnel thing than a limitation of his philosophy. Yeah, I think we'll know more this year, uh, this coming year, than we did this past year. I I just think that he'll be more comfortable with the personnel because he's the one bringing it in. Excuse me. Um, 
what I will say about pace and this, this discussion really, we had a discussion on Twitter about it and you were kind of, you know, hardcore sticking with, with Tony Bennett and saying, you know, he's a great coach. He's a great coach. And I agree with you. He's a very good coach and, and Virginia is a very good program. Um, but I've said for four years, I think it's very hard for them to win a, t- win the tournament because of the way they play. And because as you mentioned, and, and the key is they're not adaptable. They, they, they stick hard and fast to that mover blocker offense and they do not deviate. They do not play multiple ways. That is the way they do it. And the reason why it works is because their defense is really good. Um, and they limit possessions and that's that offense was started by Dick Bennett at the university of Wisconsin, green Bay, Tony's dad. And his whole point of doing that was to be able to beat teams that were more talented, slow down, reduce possessions, play defense, and then slow down the offense and, and make sure you get a good shot every time, uh, at Virginia where he's got talent, you would really like to see him be able to open up a little bit more from time to time as Bo Ryan did at Wisconsin. The, the year that Bo Ryan took Wisconsin to the, to the national championship game, he switched out of his swing offense for long stretches of time. Uh, and in some games, they didn't even run it. Really. That, that's, Frank Kaminsky said that on a recent episode of Earn Your Stripes with Max Bielfeld, where you know he basically said, we, swing, we didn't even run the swing my senior year. Uh, yeah, because they were so talented, they didn't need it. The swing offense is run to beat more talented teams. They had such so much talent. They would set up in swing sets and then not run the swing offense. You know, I mean, their their base set when they'd come down the floor was a base swing offense set, but they wouldn't run the offense. They just play. I mean, when you've got a big guy who can score like Kaminsky, sometimes you just throw the ball into him, you know, and let him let him do the work. Yeah. Uh, but point being, you've got to adapt. And you have to adapt. Yeah. And the problem with Virginia is they do not adapt. And, and uh, you know, the problem is that no matter how good your defense is, in the tournament, you're going to run into a team that shoots the lights out for a half or something. You know, you're going to run into something, and that's what happened against Virginia. UMBC did not miss, put them down 10, and when you play as slowly as Virginia does and you don't adapt, a 10-point lead is like a 20-point lead, you know, because it takes they, – they don't, you know, get that many possessions. They don't get out in transition. They don't finish at the rim, uh, you know, in transition and things like that. So UMBC had them up against the wall. And I told my dad as we were watching that game, when UMBC was up eight, I turned to him. I said, this is like a 16-point lead. This is this is a big – if Virginia doesn't score on this next possession and UMBC scores, this game might be over and it's only 10 points. You know, and, and that's just the way that that offense runs. And so I think when you look at that, yeah, you don't have to be the Golden State Warriors out there. Uh, but you've got to be able to adapt depending on how the game comes because the thing about the tournament, you're playing unfamiliar teams, running unfamiliar systems. You're not going to know them very well, and you're going to run into somebody who gets hot, knocks down a bunch of shots, and you're going to have to answer that one way or another. Yep. You're we, we had an interesting discussion today. We had a coaches meeting, and again, high school is always different than college. I want to make sure people know that I, I understand that, but we were talking about if we're going to be strong defensively, let's try to push the ball and get more offensive possessions and then trust our defense. So I think if you're a strong defensive team, you shouldn't be afraid of a lot of possessions necessarily, depending on where you're at, what your league is. Uh, but you need to be able to to go at, at different paces, different things, depending, especially in a one and done situation. Uh, league is different. One and done. Yeah. Very important. 
All right, you're listening to The Assembly Call. I'm Jared Morris here with Ryan Phillips and Brian Tonsoni, breaking down this year's Final Four through an IU prism as we try to extract some lessons that Indiana can take as the Hoosiers try to get back to being a Final Four team. So, guys, let's hit these next three you know, a, a little bit quicker. We're talking about style of play here. And, Ryan, let me go to you with this one because you mentioned this earlier. Uh, you know, We just talked about pace. Well, regardless of pace, as we mentioned, you can play a slow pace, you can play a medium pace, you can play a fast pace. Shooting with elite efficiency does seem to be a through line that really matters no matter how fast you play because it's going to be a big determinant of how efficient your offense is. You know, Michigan, who's known for having a great effective field goal percentage, they were actually only 47th this year, which is still really, really good, but not quite in the elite category of Loyola, who's fifth in the country in effective field goal percentage, Kansas, who's sixth, and Villanova, who's second. Right, And in fact, Villanova, Loyola, and Kansas are the top three teams in the entire tournament in effective field goal percentage. Not in tournament play, but for the season. And lo and behold, here they are in the Final Four. So the clear lesson for Indiana here, Ryan, is the shooting absolutely has to improve. Indiana's effective field goal percentage was 164th this year, driven down by the 307th ranked three-point shooting percentage they had. Again, a clear and obvious improvement that Indiana needs to make. And for me, effective field goal percentage essentially tells me they're getting good looks. That's what it tells me because they're making shots. And, and you know, Michigan is 47th in effective field goal percentage, but they've got a great defense. So it kind of evens out for them that they can do that. Um, but typically, John Beeline's team shoot very well. And, and so that is a bit of a surprise that they're that low. But, yeah, you've got to make shots. And I know it was we pilloried uh, uh, Tom Crean whenever he said, well, you got to make shots if you want to win. You know, because it seems like such an obvious thing that, well, what about other stuff? Well, but in the end, you do have to make shots. I mean, you really do. It's it's kind of the point of the game. Um, and if you look at offenses now in college and pro basketball, it is all based on shot making. You've got to hit shots. And, you know, the traditional post has gone away. You've got to hit jumpers. You've got to get good looks from the outside and you've got to make them. And when you got them, when you have clean looks, you have to knock them down. And that's what it tells me about about uh, those teams that are all high and effective field goal percentage. It tells me they're getting in the paint and making shots and then they're hitting their open threes. That's what it tells me. And I guarantee if you were to bring it out and break it down. That's what the case is. And you also have to have good shooters because Indiana got some open looks this year and just didn't have the guys capable of consistently knocking them down. And that's a recruiting thing and a talent development thing. So Ryan, you jumped ahead because lesson number seven is no, no, it's it's fine. Lesson number seven is if you're not going to be an elite shooting team, then your defense better make up for it. (laughs) So Michigan, which was again, only quote unquote 47th in effective field goal percentage. They were fourth in adjusted defensive efficiency. One of the absolute best in the country that helped compensate for the less than elite shooting. Now, Nova, Kansas and Loyola, they're all very good defensive teams, you know, 14th, 42nd and 18th, but not quite that super elite level that Michigan is. And the lesson here for Indiana is, you know, 65th on defense, which is what Indiana's defensive efficiency was last year, was a major improvement. But that's still not on par with Final Four caliber teams and not nearly good enough to compensate for the poor shooting. So that identity of being a defensive-minded program is going to have to keep growing as the shooting improves, as the offense grows. But, you know, that 65th number almost needs to be a baseline or a minimum of a floor, and Indiana has to keep getting better, Coach, if you know, they want to be a team that can actually threaten consistently in the tournament. Yeah, you know, the, it always says defense wins championships, and, and I still agree with that. But the previous talk, you got to make shots while playing defense, too. Uh, but I do think that this is one of Michigan's better teams. Why? Because they're guarding a lot better. 
And I think that's the reason that Loyola has been able to play with Miami and Tennessee is because you watch them play defense and they're really taking stuff away. And even to a Kansas State beating Kentucky, uh, defense plays. So I, I think that's important. And I think we made strides. And so I, I think that's what IU fans have to be happy with is that we made huge strides defensively and we need to keep moving in that way. That's going to get us in the tournament and win a few games. Yep. And then the last thing I'll mention about defense, which is the eighth lesson, is that all four of the final four teams are very strong in defensive free throw rate. So they're not putting their opponents on the free throw line and they're very good at defending the three point line. And here's a crazy stat I thought, which is that 18 of the top 33 teams in terms of three point field goal defense made the NCAA tournament. All right. 18 of the top 33. Of the 15 that didn't, only Nebraska is from a major conference. And so what that shows you is the importance of playing good three-point defense, and we know that that was a problem for Indiana last year. And so, you know, while preventing easy layups is helpful, and you certainly you know, want to keep guys out of the lane, don't, don't give up easy layups, these Final Four teams show the value of making it hard on teams to get points in two of the three most efficient ways possible, which is not allowing teams to go to the free throw line and not allowing teams to consistently shoot for high percentages from downtown. So as we look for improvements Indiana can make defensively, those two right there still offer opportunities for growth, Ryan. Yeah, I mean, it, clearly those are just, uh, you know, it's an obvious thing when you think about it is just being better on the defensive end and and taking away the the you know the easy points that come from the three-point line and from the free throw line i mean you know you give up a lot of three-pointers you're probably going to lose in in the modern game and and indiana saw that a few times this year yep all right coming up in our final segment we deliver our final lesson that indiana fans especially should take from the four coaches who made this year's final four that's coming up stick with us You are listening to The Assembly Call. I'm Jared Morris here with Ryan Phillips and the coach Brian Tonsoni wrapping up our breakdown of lessons that Indiana should take from the four participants in this year's Final Four. And here is the final lesson, number nine, which is that being patient with good coaches pays off. John Beeline had two losing seasons in his first three at Michigan. He's now made the NCAA tournament seven of the last eight years, including a national title game appearance this Final Four and a lead eight of Sweet 16. Porter Moser had three straight losing seasons at Loyola before breaking through to win the CBI in his fourth season. Now he's in the Final Four. Jay Wright lost 46 games across his first three seasons, finished sub-500 in conference play each year. He's lost a total of 21 games over the last five seasons, won four conference titles and a national title. Bill Self, I mean, Bill Self just wins a ton all the time in the regular season, but he's had his struggles in the NCAA tournament with far better teams than this one, as he mentioned, yet this is the team that got him his second Final Four appearance, and it just goes to show you that if you consistently feel great teams, earn high seeds, the timing and the breaks eventually will go your way. And so the lesson here, Coach, is that it's important, it's essential to give Archie time to get his foundation set and his program installed. And even next year is a bit too soon to make any definitive judgments on the Archie IU marriage. Now, should we expect on-court progress and big strides in terms of bringing in talent? Yes, but be careful about overrating the importance of how many games Indiana actually wins next season because that may not necessarily be the perfect barometer for whether the program is headed in the right direction. I, I always believe it takes three to five years to cement your program in, in a place, and I know we live in a society that's not that patient 
sometimes, especially when it's an overhaul and it's such a change from the previous coaching administration. If an assistant takes over and can have some continuity, that three to five year range might be advanced a little bit. Or in a situation where you have Ohio State was able to to achieve a little bit more, but they ran into a, a dead end. So IU fans, be patient. Three to five years. Let's hope to get in the tournament, win a game or two next year, and then the third year is there with, with some more of Archie's guys. Ryan? Yeah, I think that that's certainly a lesson. You've got to give a guy a time. A time. And this, this works for football, too, I think, uh, is you've got to give a guy time to get his system in there, get his players in there, and, and really develop them. Not just bring in the players, but actually develop them over a period of time. You look at the top uh, you look at the top programs and they constantly, as we said, have a depth of veteran experience and good young guys. Uh, it's, it's a really key mix. And, and I think that you've got to let the coach and the rest of his staff handle these guys for a while and, and get on the right page. Absolutely. Alrighty. That will do it for us on this week's episode of the assembly call. If you want to see us do the show live and be part of the live chat, Join us at assemblycall.com on Thursday nights for the live broadcast of our Assembly Call radio recording, or you can always subscribe to our podcast by searching for Assembly Call wherever you listen to podcasts. And don't forget to go to assemblycall.com slash join to join our free email newsletter. Thank you for listening. We will be back to talk IU hoops again with you next week. Until then, keep your elbows in and your eyes on the rim, and go Hoosiers. Thank you for being here and for listening to this episode of The Assembly Call. We appreciate it. And we really do rely on the support of audience members like you to keep our show going and to keep growing. And so we have set up a page on our website at assemblycall.com support that lists five ways that you can support The Assembly Call. And we encourage you to choose whichever method is the easiest and most convenient for you. One of the methods is donating, and so many of you have donated, and we appreciate it so much. On that page, you can choose a monthly recurring donation or an annual recurring donation or just a one-time donation, whatever works for you. And if you don't want to donate, another way to support the show is you can use our affiliate URLs, iutickets.shop or iustore.shop when you're going to shop for tickets or gear, and we will get paid a small commission when you use those links. But however you support the show... We appreciate it. Thank you. Sticky notes, email alerts, a string around your finger. They're just not big enough. So here's a big reminder from the California Lottery. Tonight's Mega Millions jackpot is over $250 million. Whew. Play now. Please play responsibly. Must be 18 years or older to purchase player client. Sticky notes, email alerts, a string around your finger. They're just not big enough. So here's a big reminder from the California Lottery. Tonight's Mega Millions jackpot is over $250 million. Whew. Play now. Please play responsibly. Must be 18 years or older to purchase player client. One, two, three, four. Those are numbers. But you already knew that. If you want to know what number you're going to pay each month for your car, use Kelly Blue Book My Wallet on AutoTrader. They're really good at numbers. <laughs> AutoTrader.